Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bundesliga show brought to you by Over the Bar. Uh, back this evening for a match week 31 review. Uh, so, obviously, at the moment, you can see it's just myself and Mark on screen, but we're very happy uh, that we're joined tonight by a friend of the show and returning guest. So, we'll bring him on, uh, bring him in right this second. Uh, so, in he comes. Welcome back, John McKenzie of TIFO Football for The Athletic. How are you doing this evening, John? Yeah, great. Thank you. It's uh, always fun to talk about the Bundesliga, which I think were very much my my first love in, in terms of covering football. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much for giving me the chance to talk about German football again. Well, yeah, thank you very much for, for giving us your time this evening. Uh, really looking forward to getting into this. It's been another... Uh, really interesting weekend of Bundesliga football. So, uh, obviously, before we get into all that fun, uh, please do make sure to smash a, uh, a like on the video. Give us a like for John's uh, second appearance and first appearance for, for a little while with us. Uh, comment along if you've got any questions uh, whilst we're live or subsequently. Uh, we'll see if John can get through those. And, of course, press the red button to subscribe to the channel to make sure you don't miss out on any fantastic content coming out. Uh, and, of course, make sure you check in with our partners, of course, Bundesliga Boxes and, of course... Bully news as well. Uh, make sure you can check in with all of those on Twitter. And if you want to follow uh, John as well on Twitter, you can go follow him at John underscore McKenzie. That's M-A-C. Uh, and then obviously you can follow all of his different projects, uh, such as TIFO. So at TIFO Football, uh, where a lot of uh, John's in-depth uh, analysis and videos are. So what, what we're going to do tonight is, gents, we're going to do relegation race to start with. Then we're going to move on to title race. And then we're going to have a look at um, SC Freiburg, of course, because it would be wrong to have John on the show and not cover a little bit of Freiburg. And, of course, it links perfectly in with the, uh, the race uh, for the Champions League. Um, so just before we get into any of that, John, did you enjoy the Bundesliga um, footy from this weekend? Anything catch you? Your eye in particular? Well, Freiburg have played RB Leipzig twice in a row in the Pokal and the, and the league and lost both of them. So, yeah, very much not enjoyed German football as of late. But um, I'm always filled with the fear of, of RB Leipzig because they always seem to beat us. And, uh, yeah, it proved to be the, the way again. Obviously, last season was uh, the, the Pokal final loss, which hurt even more. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I bear those scars with me. So I'm pretending that German football hasn't happened for the last the last couple of weeks. But it's been great seeing um, that title challenge rumble on all the way through the season. There's a season which started off with people saying, oh, the, the German league is ridiculous. There's no competitiveness there whatsoever. And this has just been an absolutely fascinating, um, I think, season not in terms just of the title race but also in terms of the top four as well with my Freiburg but also Union Berlin um, well worth their, their place in the top four as well and uh, fighting out with with uh, the big the big hitters for that final uh, fourth place spot so and that's obviously the game coming up this weekend Freiburg versus Union Berlin so it's looking very much like a Winner takes the Champions League that fixture with a couple of games to go. So yeah, um, I'm I'm going to be keeping a keen eye on the the league for the rest of the season. Smashing stuff, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll start with some relegation chat and review of the weekend. Um, so there are obviously a lot of big games happening. Um, we'll we'll move on to the six pointer, which was Hertha versus um, Stuttgart in a minute. I guess we have to talk about that at some stage, regrettably. Uh, but we'll start with the Friday night game, Mark, and and this uh, obviously was um, you know a, a huge start to the weekend. It was incredibly exciting, and it was incredibly important. And another comeback, well, comeback win of sorts uh, for Schalke. Um, who obviously were pegged back twice, but that last-minute penalty drama was just crackers. Um, just talk us through a little bit uh, of that game, Mark, because it was, well, fantastic spectacle because there was two Friday night games. So I was watching one on my laptop and one on my phone. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I guess we can kind of go in reverse order with this because we have to start with that penalty, I guess, in the hundred and well, the 102nd minute, so the 12th minute added on time, which is absolutely bonkers. 
Yeah, I mean, what a game. Seriously, what a game. I think it was one of the best games in the Bundesliga this season, without doubt. And to be honest, I turned the game off. After five minutes of extra time, I'd actually switched off. Then I looked and saw, why is the full-time whistle not gone? So I switched back the stream back on. And then I saw they were checking the penalty for about five, six minutes. The referee just looked like he had no idea what was going on. He went to the board. He must have checked for three, four minutes. And I thought he was going to wave it away because to me, it looked like he... To be honest, I thought that uh, the Schalke man had actually fouled the Mainz man first. And it did look very, very soft, to be honest. But sure enough, you know, all the players were going crazy. And obviously the referee in the end pointed to the spot. And absolutely massive moment in the Bundesliga season. For me, if Schalke even drew that game, that wouldn't be enough for them. They needed to win this game of football. If they, if they only drew, they'd still be in the bottom three at the moment with obviously Bayern Munich away and RB Leipzig away to come. So, obviously, and then that man, the man of the moment, really, what a season he's had. Marius Bulter, fantastic penalty, sends Zenner the wrong way and sends 6,500 Schalke fans into raptures, doesn't he? I mean, what a support as well for Schalke away from home at Mainz. But, yeah, I mean, it was just a brilliant game. And to be honest, Schalke did deserve to win the game. The two goals he scored were of the highest quality. I mean, Bulter's... Yeah, they were. Footwork. He looked like Prime Ronaldo when he was doing that. That was kind of what a goal that was. Yeah, he gave. He, yeah. he must have sold the defender about five step overs before putting a really, really nice finish into the bottom corner beyond the reach of Zentner. Obviously, Mainz a really, really strong home team that we've talked about a lot before. That they equalised through um, a bit, a bit of a scrappy one really through Leandro Pereiro from the corner, and then a really, really good free, free kick from. Free kick maestro uh, Aaron Martin, really. I mean, that's his third direct free kick of the season. All of them very similar as well into that top corner. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it looked as though they'd kind of got a point. Either side of that brilliant Tom Krause goal as well, which must be probably the best goal that Schalke have scored this season. Fantastic counter-attack, finished off by Tom Krause. The former Nuremberg man as well, by the way. Obviously, my team FC Nuremberg. And yeah, fan- fantastic. And then obviously that last minute drama and it's absolutely huge for the table. Huge. Because it actually takes Schalke into 15th place at the moment. At the time, it took them into 14th above Hoffenheim as well. But obviously they got that really good win over Frankfurt on Saturday. But yeah, I mean, we talked about Schalke's difficult running, including that game against a very strong home side in Mainz. They've now got Bayern Munich away, then Frankfurt at home, and then RB Leipzig away. But a lot of people will be saying, will Leipzig need to win that game? You know, you've got a question, will will they need anything from that game? And that could influence whether Schalke stay up in the end for me. Well, I do hope so. Um, I mean, VAR's been in, uh, well in and around social media a fair amount from uh, a Bundesliga and, and, and German point of view uh, in this last week, John. And, you know, we've had we've had the Karin Adiemi um, penalty shower, which, of course, at the moment stands to be the, well, huge impact on the title race as it stands. Um, we obviously, <laughs> from a VFB point of view, we had the one midweek in the Pokal, which obviously, Mark, you were covering. Uh, and then again, having watched that a good few times, that stands to reason to be questioned. And then the one that we had on Friday night, what what are your opinions on on some of these calls that we've seen? Um, I mean, I think you probably have to say for the one on Friday, Catchy gives the referee a decision to make, doesn't he, by doing it so blatantly? Yeah, I, I, it's a there's a shirt pull in there, isn't there? And I think that's the thing that stands out on the on the screen. And um, it, it's it's hard to complain with a a VAR call when they're following the letter of the law. I think what people often uh, struggle with when it comes to VAR is a lack of consistency, right? Because it, it's not it's not about what we see and what is given. It's about often um, going back over situations and looking at what the referee hasn't seen and determining it off the back of that, which I think is why it becomes very difficult. So there's a, a strange phenomenon now, I think, with VAR where um, there's certain fouls or, or situations, let's call them, where the referee doesn't give it. And as a result of that fact, the VAR is going to look back over it and determine the, the situation on the basis of the fact the referee hasn't given it. Right. So you have to you have to have a clear and obvious error for why the referee hasn't given it. But then there's obviously other situations where the other thing is true. So the referee gives a foul. And then the VAR is looking for a clear and obvious error for why that shouldn't be given. So in in theory, what that means is that there's two potential situations for every event 
that a VAR are looking at, right? There's a, the referee's given it or the referee hasn't given it. And there needs to be a weight of evidence in order to overturn that, which means that you end up with these sorts of situations where uh, a, a foul that's not given can look very much like it should be given, but it, there isn't enough evidence to overturn it and vice versa the other way. And it means that we live in this sort of twilight world a little bit as football fans, where you look at, you look at a decision that's been made and you think, look, if all, all that would require this to be the other way around is for the referee to have given it the other way, and then it would definitely have stood. And mm-hmm. I think that frustrates a lot of, uh, a lot of fans <clears> because <throat> there seems to be a lack of consistency there. Um, now we can get into the ins and outs of the, uh, of the, of, of, of the, the, the bigger picture surrounding VAR. Um, but people talk about this all the time, but one of the things I find quite interesting is that whenever I talk about VAR, um, on my Twitter feed, for example, usually I'm doing that within the context of the Premier League because that's the league that I cover primarily. Yeah. And whenever I talk about VAR with any level of scepticism, I'm always told, "Well, you know, it's the it's the it's the FA in England. Their problem. They're they're sober. The Premier League in England. They're they're the ones who have the problem with being able to run the um, the VAR." Um, system. If you go elsewhere in the, the world, there's plenty of leagues using VAR to with and, and everyone's broadly accepting of it. And I just think that's entirely not true. I, I see these things cropping up all the time in in different leagues as well. So um, yeah, I think it, coming back to to that situation, I think yeah, they've they spent a long time over it. That's why the the technology is in place. I think that it it does ruin the experience as a fan. Um, yeah, particularly if you're a neutral, but um, yeah, I suppose if you're a Schalke fan right now, you won't care about that at all. And uh, yeah, that that could be the the VAR decision that keeps them in the Bundesliga next season. Yeah, quite literally. So yeah, we've we've seen a lot of big calls already made in in this last week, and there will be an increasing pressure in these next three match weeks because of the scrutiny that we've already seen. It will be interesting to see where these fifty teams are. Uh, to go uh, VAR, we'll have to see that. Um, but it, as I mentioned, general Mark, I think, uh, yeah, it is fair to say that Schalke earned, earned their coin because they played some really good football. Uh, the second goal, as you say, um, really well put together. Um, and Zentner, to be fair, had to have a really good game himself uh, to keep it really at three Schalke goals. So they really do... Um, look like a threat going forwards, don't they? Uh, the defense, you know, the defense has been a lot better in the rook runder in general. Um, you know, there's some big blocks being made. Uh, I think whilst it was at two-two, there was one huge moment in extra time where Mines went on the attack, almost scored, and then obviously they've gone down the other end and scored the penalty. So I guess that just sums up their their desperation right now, Mark, and it's and it's working perfectly in terms of well, it's reaping rewards from a results point of view. Yeah, it was a really, really frantic end to the game. Both sides wanted the win. Obviously, Mainz need European football. Well, they want European football. They feel as though the work they've done over the season, they deserve European football as well. But obviously, the last two games hasn't gone their way. I totally agree, though. I think, yeah, Schalke deserved the win. Like If you look at their XG, they got over three... 3.1 XG, which is really, really impressive away from home against uh, Mainz 0 I mean, uh, Salazar has been outstanding in recent weeks as well. Like, obviously, yeah. a lot of criticism early on in the season that he was meant to be their kind of playmaker this season. Didn't really do it at all in the hin runder, did he? But he's just been better and better. I just think he's been superb in recent weeks. And uh, yeah, I think Boulter has been a revelation, really. 11 league goals for the season for a man who, this is only his second season as a Bundesliga starting striker as well. And ironically, in his first season, he only got one goal for Union Berlin as well in their first season. So, I mean, credit to him. And he looks better every week. As I say, this was an outstanding performance from him. It really was. And I just think that they look a Bundesliga team now, Schalke. I just think, you know, the likes of Henning Matriciani, uh, Vandenberg as well, who I think they got from Liverpool on loan, didn't yeah. they? He's been really good as well in the defence. Obviously, the missing uh, Jens, which is a little bit unlucky because he was really good. But, you know, the likes of Yoshida stepped up in the second half of the season. It, they were a bit unlucky as well to lose Fairman, the goalkeeper. But obviously... Mm-hmm. To be honest, Fair, um, Shvalov has done okay since he came in. I mean, he, he took a lot of criticism that. from yeah. the media, but he has done okay. Uh, obviously, some would say that, you know, Mainz didn't create that much in the game and he conceded two goals, but I thought he was relatively solid. He commanded the defence relatively well. And, you know, things are looking good for Schalke. If they can stay up this year, I think under Thomas Rice, they'll be able to kind of stabilise next season for me. 
Yeah. I'm just yeah. I'm just looking at Bolter's goal scoring record actually through his career. And as you said, this is the only his second season or a third season in the Bundesliga, actually, a couple of seasons at Union Berlin. Um, but he's it's comfortably his best scoring season in, in the Bundesliga. And if you look elsewhere, he's he's only had like two or three seasons where he's actually scored more, and those are either in I mean he's got one in the regional Regional yeah. West. So <laughs> you're not exactly counting that yeah, yeah. As, as evidence for anything, but a good season in the Spider Bundesliga last season. But before that, in the Bundesliga, it's been single figure. And so to, to make yeah. that step up and start getting double figure um, yeah. hauls as a striker, really impressive as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been a couple of, well, a couple of players that have been standout for those teams down there. And then if if we're kind of digressing into the six points that happened at the weekend quite nicely, uh, the man for VFB all season has been Seru Girassi, who um, finds himself in these very nice pockets of space, uh, certainly knows where uh, where to be when the ball's in the box. Uh, he's a very good poacher uh, and he was poaching again to, to put VFB level uh, after old boy Mark Oliver Kempf scored against us. Of course he did uh, with a good header actually um, from a reset uh, for a second second phase uh, corner for Hertha. Um, to be honest, at, at the time, Stuttgart were in control of the match. Um, you know, they had a lot more possession. They're knocking it about quite nicely, but weren't weren't looking um super clinical in, in attack. But when it goes to one one, um you're probably kind of thinking, okay, well the team in the best form is Stuttgart, do they, you know, do they go on now to control the game and get a, another goal? Uh but lo and behold, a silly free kick from Bjorn Souza, whose form has been very patchy, been up and down and you know, he, he's someone who is going to be crucial for the club to stay up. But if his head's elsewhere, then you're really, really struggling. But, you know, they, they throw in that kind of low in-swinging free kick and it causes carnage. Um, and I think someone, uh, well, there, obviously there's a touch on to it, which takes it under quite low. Uh, again, maybe not the goalkeeper covering himself in too much glory. Uh, maybe a hard one to say. And then you finished that way, and Stuttgart didn't really look that much of a threat in the second half. Um, Mark, I mean, this is a game where a lot of people had Stuttgart to pin to win quite easily, but I never felt very confident at all because they're away record, because it was just, it was being talked up too much, and I hate that. Um, so, yeah, they just, certainly in the second half, they just didn't turn up and they couldn't get anything going from an attacking point of view. Yeah, I think as soon as I saw that Zagadou was starting the game ahead of Mavropanos, I was worried for Stuttgart, to be honest, because he's had a bit of a nightmare of a season, Zagadou, having the defender. But yeah, I mean, it was just a really poor performance, to be honest, from Stuttgart. I just think, you know, the carrot was there, you know, that if they won that game, they'd have had two home games from the last three. And I think they would have stayed up quite comfortably, to be honest. I think, you know, you'd have expected Stuttgart to take at least four points from those two home games against Leverkusen and Hoffenheim. That would have been enough to get them to the hallowed 35 points and keep them up. But now, you know, you're looking at probably two wins are going to need to avoid the playoff, I would say potentially yeah. obviously depending on how Bolcom do next week against Augsburg because that's going to be a huge game as well but yeah I think you know it was just a really poor performance I just think you know maybe Koulibaly needs to start playing more because every time he comes off the bench it looks really good but like Thiago Tomas is I don't know he's obviously a highly rated player but he's yet to kind of really convince me in a Stuttgart shirt and I thought he was really poor in this game Gurasi is just a really good striker and he let's be honest Stuttgart always seemed to get these good strikers obviously they had Gonzalez they had uh, Kalajic and now they found another really good one I think if he could play the full season injury free he'd be like a at least a 15 goal striker to be honest maybe even close to 20 in a good season I think he's a real good striker but yeah, I mean, obviously Haraguchi came back into the lineup. He didn't cover himself in glory. Milo, who was really, really good off the bench in midweek, also didn't have a great game. And they just looked flat, Stuttgart, really. I just thought, you know, they should have been able to beat this Hertha side. Because for me, Hertha are definitely the worst side in the Bundesliga. There's no question about that. I think they are a poor side. And this performance was improved under Pal Dada. You've got to give him credit. You know, it's the first win in a good while, but they just weren't very good in the match. And you know, obviously, they're up to 25 points now. Um, they've got a very, very outside chance of staying up. They actually play um, Köln away this weekend and then Bochum at home. You know, they are winnable games at the end of the day. If they can win both of them, they'll have a chance going into the last day when they play Wolfsburg away. 
So, yeah, I mean, for them, I don't think they're going to stay up. To be honest, I think they'll lose against Köln on Friday, and that'll be like the kind of final hurrah for them, really. But um, obviously, they've given themselves a chance and credit to them for that. Yeah, I think, John, just very quickly on, on Hertha, um, we, we've scathed them from a defensive point of view for most of the season, but particularly in the second half, um, they, they at least showed up and, you know, they had something to defend. They had something maybe to, to look after, which has been well, obviously quite opposite because most of the time they've been, you know, leaking goals and already been behind and chasing matches, which is not, you know, it's not easy when, you know, you're struggling at, in any kind of sense uh, of you. But uh, I guess a small amount of hope in that respect for Hertha fans. Yeah, when you bring in a coach like late on in the season, that's that's sort of what you're going for, isn't it? You're not expecting to get a huge amount of uh, tactical upside from them. You're just wanting to them to to stem the flow of the previous coach in terms of the the momentum and get the players on board, get them believing that there could be something different here. And uh, you, you just got to stick it out in these games and and hope for the best. And it has worked out for them. But as you as you say, um, Marcus, it's not looking good for them in the in the longer in the longer term. There's definitely a reason why they are. Uh, firmly bottom of the Bundesliga right now, and it's, it's you know this is a this is a um, a run of form which has been going on for a while now with with Hertha. I mean, it, it only seems a few years ago when we were talking about new ownership, money being pumped in, exciting new managers, exciting new players. This being the 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 time when when people were finally going to start saying Berlin is blau and and the very opposite has happened, right? So Berlin is very much wrote at the moment, um, and. Uh, a real, I think, yeah, hurt a real testament to the fact that you can't simply run a club on money. Uh, mm-hmm. There has to be there has to be longer term uh, ideas behind uh, what you're doing at the club. There has to be smart decision makers in there. Uh, there has to be an overall picture that you're working towards. You cannot simply buy your way. Um, up the table and in in many respects you know they've ended up almost buying their way out the bottom of the table which is a a real indictment I think. Yeah Uh, and speaking of money just very quickly uh, before we move on uh, to the rest of the relegation we do obviously need to move on and talk about title race and and everything else in a second. Um, There's been a bit of news uh, coming out this afternoon in regards to uh, Hertha's license uh, for next season being under threat because of uh, their potential sponsorship with 777 um there's also been a potential leaked source um also saying that their their kind of entry their license uh, application that's the word uh, is one of the worst they've ever seen um so th- this is you know the likes of Derek Ray and co are, are reporting on this uh John what what do you make of this I mean do we think it's going to go as far as person not get getting a license because if they don't get a license they're not they're not talking about just Bundesliga they're talking about side Bundesliga as well yeah I mean I don't know the ins and outs of the the legality as far as the Bundesliga are concerned but um 777 partners or triple seven partners I think is how they refer to themselves are an American investment fund who own a number of or have stakes in a number of different clubs uh, around the world actually so they uh, they have a stake in Genoa um I think they have a stake in Vasco da Gama in, in Brazil. There's a few other places okay. as well. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, Genoa, interesting because they've just been promoted back into Serie A. So the idea of investing in a team who's dropping out of a, a top division, putting money into them and trying to get them back up. So buying low and trying to raise their value back high should make it fairly obvious why 777 partners might be interested in in a club like Hertha. Obviously, there's a huge amount of, you would think, commercial uh, revenue to be gained from from a, a big club like Hertha as well. So um, that's that's the the ins and outs of it. But as far as I understand, there's there's questions about whether or not there's been some kind of um, transgression of the 50 plus one rule, uh, which which everyone will know about. Um, so yeah, the, the question is, are they are they structuring this deal in a way that complies with with the the legality and obviously within German football that that um that that fifty plus one rule is taken nominally seriously. We were we were chatting a little bit before we came on about how some teams seem to be able to get away with um, flouting the rules, but um yeah in this instance it seems as though um, we've we've re- reached that line in the sand right thus far you shall come and no further. So it will be fascinating to see how this one plays out. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, do you think this is going to detract from their win at the weekend? Is it going to distract people as well on, on you know, obviously the sense that they've got three cup finals to come? 
Yeah, I think it's possible that it could do, but I don't think it'll be too much because you've got to remember that a lot of people have been questioning Hertha for a long time, actually. like Obviously, Lars Vindhorst, I don't, I don't know if the viewers know about him, but he's also been a very, very controversial character over the last four to five years at Hertha as well. He's obviously pumped a lot of money. And when that money first came to Hertha, it was basically via Lars Vindhorst. But obviously, over the last couple of years, he's kind of taken a back seat in the club. And yeah. uh, but even back then, there were a lot of questions whether Lars Vinhorst was kind of violating the 50 plus one rules and where the money was coming from. And I, I always find it a little bit strange because, as John said, I, I did mention that some clubs can get away with this. Like there are literally clubs in the Bundesliga who are effectively exempt from the 50 plus one rule, like Hoffenheim, for example, RB Leipzig. They're the main ones, but also in the past. Bayer Leverkusen and uh, Wolfsburg are kind of like on the periphery of the 50 plus one, basically. Mm. So I, I do always find that a little bit strange how that, that works out in the Bundesliga. I know that uh, Dietmar Hopp, the kind of single owner of uh, Hoffenheim, has already, he's kind of always said that he plans on giving the club back to the fans effectively and making it a 50 plus one club. But that is, uh, for me, that is a flaw. I'm a big fan of the 50 plus one rule. Don't get me wrong. It's very important for German football. And it's one of the things that makes German football so great and keeps it with the fans but I do believe that it should be one rule for all basically in my view and I do believe that there are clubs that are getting better kind of conditions with this rule yeah brill so what we'll do is we'll move on to the title race because we yeah we've we've kind of covered Herta and the the main teams that are really involved in that Obviously, can I just ask one question of course, be John. cheeky um you've mentioned that there's a playoff position um, which has gone under the radar a little bit. I just wondered which which team you think would best suit the the playoff. Do you think that there's one team where uh, they're more likely to do well in that playoff game than than any of the others? Hell of a question. <laughs> Stuttgart for me, it'd be Stuttgart. Yeah. I think Stuttgart are one of those teams that. Um, for me, they are the best team at the bottom, first of all. And I just think, you know, they did well in the cup this year, which kind of suggests that they're good at high-pressure games. I think, for me, Bolcom are the side that I'd be the most worried about, actually, because I just think, uh, for me, under some of the big high-pressure games, they've kind of crumbled at times, and they actually do better against the better teams, Bolcom, in many ways, for me. Um, I just think, like, obviously, for me, they'd be the ones I'd be most worried about in the playoff. But you've got to remember that the, the record of the fighter teams is really poor in the playoffs. Yeah. The last team to win was actually Union Berlin five years ago. Now, well, four, four slash five years ago. And I think before that, it was about 10 years before that, that the team before that won. So yeah. uh, fighter teams, a lot of people in Germany, they actually say that they feel as though it should be scrapped or changed in some way, maybe made into a one-off game at, at the home of the second league team, you know, to make it a bit fairer. But it, it is uh, what another thing you've got to remember is that the last two years, the away team has won the first leg as well, which is quite strange. So mm -hmm. I think it was Kiel won away at Köln, but then lost the home leg. And then last year, Hamburg won away at Hertha and then lost the home leg as well. So mm -hmm. it, it is a funny kind of playoff, really, isn't it? Uh, we could have Hertha versus Hamburg again, to be yeah, honest. Possible, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and then who are you fancying again? I mean, Hamburg, I mean, how many times are they going to fail to get into this Bundesliga? <laughs> it's just ridiculous now, isn't it? Um, yeah, so some questions in the chat as well for John, and we will come to those to make sure that um, they they are fielded. But um, yeah, good, obviously, huge win for Hoffenheim against a hapless Frankfurt. I think we all expected that, didn't we? Kramerich. Um, scoring from the penalty spot, um, almost kind of imploding with that red card by Unsorki, uh, with, with his high foot. But Frankfurt still can um manage a full comeback with Mario Goetze just having the one goal. So, yeah, massive win for them. Uh, and Balkan, of course, who we've already mentioned, lost um, away to Gladbach, a match that I did not expect them to lose. I thought Gladbach being already on the beach would have maybe uh given a Balkan an easy win there, but a good 2-0 win for the uh, for the home side. Um, Stindl getting himself a farewell goal as well as Hoffman as per usual. Um, so, right, title chat, gents. Um, obviously, we had our Saturday evening match, so we do if we're doing this in chronological order, um, we had Werder against Bayern Munich, uh, of which was, uh, again, a, a tight affair like you would have expected. Werder still playing really good football and but seemingly haven't got the results in in these last eight or nine matches really now um but you know they they eventually 
succumbed uh, to to Bayern, and despite the late um, wonder goal, gave themselves a frantic five minutes or so to potentially nab a draw. Uh, come to you, Mark. Firstly, around around this, um, but I mean, Bayern just needed to scrape a win rather than maybe doing it in style, I guess. Yeah, I think they've been doing that for most of the season, at least since the Rook Runder, haven't they? I mean, they really, they're not making it easy for themselves. And this was another game where it was a real tough slog at times. You know, I feel as though if Mitchell Weiser could have put that chance away, then they would have been in big, big trouble. I think if they'd have gone 1-0 down away from home, I don't see them winning that game, to be honest. Mm-hmm. The, the way they're playing, there's a lack of belief and you can still see it in the team, you know. This was a very similar game in some ways to the Hertha Berlin game, you know, but obviously in this case, Werder created more chances. I think it looked like the longer the game was going on, you were thinking, you know, maybe Werder can nick something from the game. I think especially in that first half, as I say, the Mitchell visor when he kind of did the air kick in front of goal, like if he finishes that, that has to be in the back of the net, that one, really. I think the first half, Bayern were really poor to be honest they weren't creating much okay they always create a few half chances don't they let's be honest with that with that attack they're always going to get something but once again it's that man Serge Gnabry you know who's not he's probably had his worst season in the red of Bayern Munich this year but the last two weeks he's come good to get the opening goal as he did what uh, last week against Hertha Berlin I mean it was a bit of a scrappy one in truth I thought it was offside when I first saw it it looked offside but it was really really poor defending actually from Stark and Friedel who uh, Stark kind of should have got it cleared and then Friedel played him on side. You know, it was a weak first goal to concede, but they got the goal. The second goal was a goal of real quality through uh, Sané. It was a beautiful goal, that was, yeah. But then again, Werder weren't out of the game and they, they pulled one back through a really, really nice strike from Schmid. And then again, didn't really get many chances at the end, but it wasn't comfortable by any means. And I actually had this down as a draw, this game. I didn't think that Bayern were going to go away from home and win in Werder, but they got the win. They put the pressure on uh, Dortmund. A lot of people, I think myself and you included, Rory, thought that Dortmund were going to crumble under that pressure. But obviously, we'll talk about that later, but it turned out anything but that way but credit to Bayern you know Thomas Tuchel's side are edging closer and closer to that title win that'll just be the minimum that they require now basically because it's been a poor season overall for Bayern Munich not just results wise but performance wise as well at times you know they've not really been convincing for weeks and weeks now and it's just about getting over the line you know they've got three more games that they have to win if they do that then you know they'll sweep it under the carpet spend big in the summer and move on from there True. Uh, John, I, I mean, th- this has obviously been a season in which Bayern have struggled and there's been a lot going on at the club. Um, you know, there's been plenty of stories which we won't go through in too much detail right now. But in a season where Bayern have, inverted commas, struggled and they're now three games away from winning their, you know, their 11th on the spin, is that it doesn't reflect well, obviously, from a title race uh, competitive point of view for, for the Bundesliga. What, what are your thoughts on Bayern this season and then kind of like the, the title opposition that they faced, uh, well, certainly this season as well? Yeah, it's been a very bizarre season for Bayern, hasn't it? Um, I, I actually really enjoyed the first half of the season from a Bayern point of view because Julian Nagelsmann came in and was doing really interesting things tactically. He was mm-hmm. mixing up some of the the, the, the the positional stuff that we expect to see from uh, clubs like Bayern, elite sides, with with some of the more, um, I, I guess, um, direct Gagan pressing, narrow, um, uh, you know, aggressive football that we see, we you, you would expect to see from uh, from the the Red Bull school of, of football. And so, uh, what we got was a real, really interesting hybrid of those of those two ideas. And I think that it, it was. I mean, it was it was clearly working according to the underlying numbers, but it always felt as though Bayern were never quite as comfortable as the numbers suggested they would be. Um, and so it, it felt as though Nagelsmann got to a point where he started switching things up, maybe tweaking things a little bit more, going back to some of the ideas that, that Bayern had, had used in the previous season. Um, and I just wonder whether or not that, that sort of changeability... Um, had had an impact on the squad in in some sense that that maybe Nagelsmann was was mistrusting his own ideas to to a degree, uh, and then we entered entered into this sort of particularly after the the World Cup break, in, um, it, that was the the watershed moment really where we we, we went back to the classic Bayern, but um, 
again without that consistency that you would expect from from a team of their uh, of their ability and um yeah we we ended up in this sort of shadow realm that we're in now with Bayern where they have comfortably the best squad in the league and and yet they don't seem to be able to get a tune out of it right now um whether or not that's because they have uh, a new manager but whether or not that is because they are under the the pressure of of having to actually scrape a, a league title for a change uh, who knows but um yeah it's it it's you you look at the the run in now and you sort of think well bayern have got nothing else to play for they're, they're out of the pokal they're out of the the champions league um they've got to win three games and 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 they're there um and you think surely that's enough uh, but in this title race, it just it never seems to be enough. One team will come out and be absolutely blistering one week, and the other team will collapse. Um, and I guess that's a really nice segue to 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 take us onto the the Dortmund game. But I, I just wondered what you guys thought of the of the the big picture stuff because obviously when you do a when you do a off the weekend show, it's just very easy to get caught up in the weeds of the and the minutiae of, the, of, of of each game, right? But looking at the season as a whole, how do you guys explain the the Bayern Munich season? I think you you kind of got it perfectly there, John. When when you started talking about Nagelsmann, you know, started off doing quite interesting things from a tactical point of view, um, and I, you know, genuinely, I think at the start of the season, Mark Mark may agree with me or may not agree with me. I, I thought they were looking to you know re- really strong actually, and I thought they were going to go going to go on and have a real powerhouse season. To be honest, but as you say. Things then internally maybe started to trip up from a, a, a relations point of view. Maybe some players, obviously, you know, there's lots of high-class players at Bayern and not all of them were playing. Um, so that, you know, started to trip them over in that sense. And then, yeah, as you say, Nagelsmann maybe started to doubt himself in in that sense. And the, the pressure from the top of, you know, traditional way of Bayern playing was therefore hugely on to Nagelsmann, their relationships were not were strained with obviously our Oliver Kahn and Sally Hamazic uh, as well, who you could you know all the famous pictures and social media stuff that we've that we've already gone through, and it's just led to this very kind of sleepwalking attempt at winning the Bundesliga title. But all of that said, again we're in this position where they are three games away from winning a Bundesliga title, so. It's yes, been very strange, uh, but we're in similar territory regardless. Um, I don't know what if you've got anything to add, Mark, but yeah, it's been it's been a culmination of things, hasn't it? Yeah, I think a lot of people. I know that a lot of Bayern fans here, because obviously I am based in Bavaria. A lot of Bavarian Bayern Munich fans are not happy with Salah Hamasic and Khan. That's for sure. Like I know a lot of real like season ticket holders are buying actually, and a lot of them want to see Salih Hamzic leave. Like some of them are still bitter about the fact that um, he fell out with Hansi Flick as well, because obviously he was a fan's favorite. He was like a hero with the Bayern fans, mm-hmm. Hansi Flick, and basically the reason why he left was because of a kind of a dispute with Salih Hamzic. Then I think they were very happy with Nagelsmann. None of them really wanted to see him fired. I know that there was kind of a little bit of uproar really by German standards about him being fired. A lot of them weren't happy about that. I think there's also minor points as well on the pitch, like Manuel Neuer getting injured. Let's be honest, um, Sommer hasn't exactly kind of covered himself in glory at times and he's not really made himself a fan favourite in this last six months or so. And I think the other thing is the lack of a striker. That's massive as well. Yeah. I always said, I think me, you know, Rory, I was a massive fan of Lewandowski. You know? for, for me, he was like a cheat code. That's what I basically I described him as. I mean, the guy would just score every single game. Chupo Motting just simply hasn't done that this season. And, you know, I think everybody knows that Bayern Munich are going to go in for a big striker this summer, potentially Harry Kane. I've heard some other names linked as well. Obviously, Aussie Men as well, a fantastic striker from Napoli, potentially linked. Although it does seem as though they're going to get priced out of him from what I've heard so far. But I think, yeah, lack of striker, a lack of a top goalkeeper in the... Uh, in the uh, Rook Runda, and also all the kind of uh, problems with Sally Hammersage, Khan, and obviously Mane and Sane as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, really interesting stuff there. But as as John quite correctly alluded to, it, it's, you kind of go from weekend to weekend where one team struggles and one and one kind of fires. 
And, uh, and yeah, what a hell of a reaction that was on Sunday afternoon. I think, yeah, we all might have had our concerns about Dortmund feeling the pressure. Um, but seemingly, you know, they're, they're chasing aptly well and they blew away Wolfsburg, uh, you know, at Signal Iduna Park. Uh, fabulous performance. Everyone that you would want getting on the score sheet and being... Uh, influential, you know, we've all seen the Jude Bellingham first goal that, you know, he hits it so cleanly and Castells can only, you know, knock it onto the bar or post and it still goes in anyway. Um, uh, a lot of social media chat about his second goal celebration as well. Uh, we'll maybe come to that in a second um, because of the, you know, the very strong links about him and Real Madrid. Uh Julian Brand was involved in a lot of good things as he has been throughout the entire season. Adeyemi and Marlon getting their goals, which is fantastic. And Haller, um, just a perfect response, John, from Dortmund. And, you know, just exactly what we wanted to see from a title race point of view. Yeah, Dortmund are, are an interesting kettle of fish, aren't they? Because there's some games where their attack clicks and and they 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 absolutely fly um this is a this is a team that is designed to play attacking football and in the bundesliga you can do that um the the, the issue for me with with dortmund is always going to be can they control games in every phase of possession can they control games when they're playing against different sorts of opponents and i think that's the bigger the bigger question um i think edin terzic is is good at um you know breeding that that sort of camaraderie that um allows you to be a really dangerous attacking unit but sometimes i think uh, in in wider areas uh, particularly out of possession it can be questions of, about his uh, his tactical ability but this was very much uh, one of those games where everything works together and at the moment it seems as though everything working together hangs on whether or not julian brandt plays well as you as you mentioned he's had an absolutely mm. incredible season and in many respects i think the tactical system that they play now really suits uh, a lot of the players that they have like who who would have thought at the beginning of the season they would be using emery chan as a as a as a six and dropping him in between center backs pushing your your fullbacks forward um having wolf as a as a, an incredible sort of flying wing back in in that in that situation having sally ozchan uh, at times playing as an eight rather than the six um julian brand dropping in here there and everywhere um, but it's it's been it's been really good to watch um, when they're when they're at their f- uh, free flowing best. Uh, there's there's rarely a, a better team to watch in in the Bundesliga from an attacking point of view. So this was one of those games. It's worth saying that Wolfsburg were absolutely abject in this game. <laughs> Some of the defending that was happening was was incredibly poor. Um, so that that sort of added to the to the occasion. But um, yeah, one of those situations as you mentioned, where when you are chasing. A, a, a title leader and you have a game like this you know potential banana skin um it does help if the opposition decide to turn up without uh, thinking about their defensive aspects but um they 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 did what they needed to do got off on off to a good start and uh, absolutely um steamrolled their way their way home so keeps the title race on for a little bit longer which is always which is always exciting and uh, it's going to take us into those final three games um with with something to play for so yeah really looking forward to seeing how it how it plays out yeah absolutely and um, mark um yeah just seeing paul's comment about buying uh obviously uh, paul mcgarrigy uh are obviously our over the bar man and man city supporter obviously saying that buying uh in recent times just didn't look like uh well, a united front, a united dressing room, character, character chemistry, uh, all looking off and even in a football sense as well. So, yeah, I mean, you got it from from the horse's mouth there in, in terms of someone who's seen their uh, buy-in live a good few times uh, and recently as well. Uh, Mark, any, any thoughts or comments about Bellingham celebration, the second one, the kind of like the chatting in, in one's ear, like he's just trying to concentrate on his football clearly and, and try and win the uh, the title for Borussia Dortmund. Um, but, you know, we've all heard the very strong links and they're all, you know, they're beyond whispers at this point about him and Real Madrid. So any, any thoughts on that? Him just saying to everyone to calm down and let's just go for this league title? Yeah, definitely. I think he deserves a lot of credit for how professional he's been. Obviously, he's a very young man as well. You know, this is a 
he's been a first team footballer for four seasons incredibly now and i think he's only 20 like he pretty much started his career as a first team professional at birmingham when he was 16 didn't he and he's a, this is his third season at dortmund as a first choice uh, midfielder the guy just gets better and better just that second finish was so classy wasn't it you know mm. like he just waited for the keeper to go down he, he's just been amazing this season and you know i was kind of hoping that a dortmund title win would potentially be able to keep him in the Bundesliga for another season at Dortmund. But I think, you know, obviously he was always going to kind of move on. I think it's not the league that's the problem for him. It's just the money, really. You know, he can't get as much money at Dortmund as he can at the likes of Real Madrid or the Premier League. And I think most people thought he was going to go to the Premier League, to be honest. But obviously it would be a surprise if he ends up in Madrid. He obviously likes the European lifestyle, doesn't he, living on the continent? Because, uh, you know, that's going to be a lot of time uh, away from England, you know. I think it's almost like a kind of God-given right that most... Most English players want to play in the Premier League. You know, it's a home country. I can't really think of many that play for a long time overseas. It, obviously, there's been some in the past that did, like David Beckham went there for a few years, but only once he was kind of past his peak, really, wasn't it? And obviously, Mike Lowen did for maybe one season. But oh, no, I agree again. Yeah, I think he did, but I think he wasn't really born. It. He never well, started. Yeah, he, so he, he went the other way, I think, didn't he? He went from Europe to England, basically, yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, it is. It's not. It's a kind of unorthodox route, but I think it's doing his game a lot of good. You know, like um, just been absolutely brilliant this season, and seven goals now from midfield. Like the guy's just an absolute machine, and you know, this was one of his best performances. Although this is the kind of game, you know, it's it's a dream to play in for a Dortmund play because, as John said, I mean, they were just they were brilliant, and Wolfsburg were woeful basically. So it was a perfect game for them. He played really well and, you know, he's just got to keep his feet on the ground and the guy can achieve anything he wants in football, really, because he's already probably in the top 20 players in the world and he's only like, what, 19, 20? So, like, if he goes to Real Madrid, in some ways it's the perfect club, really. I think he is the kind of player that can thrive there. You need a big character to play at Real Madrid because, you know, their fans are, if you get off to a bad start, you know, they're going to start criticising you. But from a Bundesliga perspective, would be nice to see him stay, but I think obviously that's not going to happen, unfortunately. But, you know, from a Dortmund and a Bundesliga and an English perspective as well, I would like to see him leave a Bundesliga champion. Absolutely, yeah. And so, well, we've had plenty of time to chat through the, the weekend's fun and action. Uh, but now we've got a little bit of time uh, for John to talk about his, uh, well, beloved Freiburg, who have had a, a bit of a rough few days. Uh, they've come up against a team that they don't often like to play. Um, so, John, I mean, just reflecting on where Freiburg are at in terms of this season, what have you liked, what have you disliked? Uh, obviously, at the moment, it, it stands to be what could be you know, an amazing achievement coming in the Champions League spots, but it's all to play for still. Yeah, I mean, my English team is Leeds United, so Freiburg have definitely been doing the hard work for me in terms of my enjoyment of, as, as a football fan. And, and that should absolutely not be the case if you look at the amount of money that those both teams spend. If you compare their wage bills, etc., there's no way that, that Freiburg should be uh, challenging for the Champions League. And there should be no way that Leeds are, uh, well, currently looking at the Nottingham Forest score, heading rapidly out of the Premier League. Um, but yeah, Freiburg, I, I went to Freiburg in 2018 um, and went to a game there, fell in love with the place. So they became my de facto team at that point. And since then, you know, I when I started following them, I was like, this is going to be a team who are consistently looking to avoid relegation. Uh, but every season since then, they've improved. Um, they do it by selling players often after one season, one good season and reinvesting the money. And it just seems like a, the, the least likely way of, of succeeding. And yet here we are. They they continue to do it. Um, so, for example, last season, Nico Schlotterbeck um, moves moves on. Uh, and isn't isn't exactly replaced. We bring, we bring in Matthias Ginter, obviously, um, but that's not a like for like change. So we moved Philip Leanhart over, and he's been injured. We've been playing Mario um, Gulda as, as a centre back, which is uh, far from perfect as well. And yet here we are. We we went into the season with uh, Europa League football, not expecting um, really anything from that, but went through the the group stages unbeaten. In fact, won every game I think in the group stages. I think I'm right in saying. I'm sure someone will correct me in the chat if I'm wrong. Um, and I expected that added, uh, you know, added workload on the squad to be 
having an impact on 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 the team so i was very much ready for for us not to be challenging for europe again but lo and behold we've we find ourselves still around the the conversation with the champions league uh, i think the leverkusen loss at the weekend guarantees Europa League football for for Freiburg next season. Uh, the big question now, as you say, is will they will they manage to do the next thing, which they seem to do every season, as I said, since I started supporting them, which is make the next step, uh, go go that extra extra level up, uh, and and pick up Champions League football. And Champions League football, I think, would be you know generation changing for for a team like Freiburg when you consider the amount of money that that will inject into the club. Uh, it's it's just another. Um, I guess an, another one of those rewards for for being such a smartly run club, which has mm-hmm. uh, you know an identity that every part of the club is is working towards going down from the manager Christian Streich all the way all the way through the youth system, uh, the, the 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 board um, across across the board as well. Um, and yeah, it's it's just really nice to see. Uh, obviously, a new stadium as well. Um, so just in every area of, of Freiburg life since I've started supporting them, there's been upgrades and uh, and yet it doesn't seem to lose that that local club feel that it has. Um, and in many respects, it is a testament to the fact that you can, in the Bundesliga, have that focus on being smart, being well-run, being a club that is focused on the community and succeed. So, yeah. Nothing but nothing but love uh, for for Freiburg since I since I started following them back in 2018 and um, yeah a real I think a real uh, you know pedestal club really for for other clubs in the Bundesliga to look at and, and focus on and say you know we we can do this uh, along along with obviously Union Berlin but um, as I mentioned before that there's a the, there's a game between the two of them in the coming weekend which is almost like the winner takes it all for the Champions League depending on how the other two games go so lots of excite, excitement around uh, Freiburg this season yeah absolutely uh, and so we'll, we'll just throw a few questions at you that are coming into the chat um then John uh, Mark do you want to pick out a few and we'll, we'll fire them over to John yeah, definitely. I like this one from Paul as well. Yeah. So what does John make of uh, Freiburg's FI, the, the second team of Freiburg, flying high in the leagues below? They are actually in second in the um, in the third league, which is actually the yeah, highest yeah. placed second team in the whole of Germany, incredibly, which is really, really impressive. Yeah. Bayern's second team are down in the Regional League of Bayern and uh, Dortmund are somewhere near the bottom of the, the, the third league. So, yeah, I mean, do you know much about that, John? And if so, is this something that's been talked up amongst the uh, the Freiburg support? I haven't watched them too much this season. I did the previous season when I had a bit more time uh, and enjoyed watching them uh, quite a bit, actually. And they they do this thing where they have obviously a lot of fun youngsters coming through. Uh, there's, they, they clearly um, do a lot of work with, with, with the youngsters through the academy. And there's a lot of players who come through the academy and play for the club. So um, Niklas Herfler, a uh, great example of a player who's played his whole career at, at um, Freiburg going through the academy. Uh, but they also do this thing where they, they have uh, certain players, more mature players, who are the, the sort of spine for the team as well, who will play... Um, week in week out for the second team to 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 give them a nice blend of, of young talent and and um maybe more experienced heads as well and that seems to be working well for them at the moment and yeah the freiburg Zwei, they're playing in the in the old stadium as well the dreisem stadion mm-hmm. um the iconic stadium which is great fun as well so you, you still get an excuse to go and uh, watch some of their games at least in in that iconic stadium as well yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then just another question and a really nice one from Ballon as well, which uh, I liked. Yeah, Freiburg new stadium. Would you prefer Champions League or Europa League for this? Yeah, I think that one's pretty obvious. But yeah, uh, it, it's near the Freiburg airport. What, what would you prefer? Because I know that like sometimes people say maybe the Champions League is a step too far and it could potentially impact on the form next season. What would you say there? Yeah, it's an interesting question, I, I suppose, because. Um, in in uh, at least in my memory of following german football i've seen freiburg go to the europa league um, and and stack it do really bad badly i can't remember what the team was called that they lost to but they were some small hungarian team i think um and they yeah they got i think it was it wasn't even the full europa league it was just the, the qualifying stage and they got got knocked out there so um i was full of trepidation when when the europa league came around this time around uh, Obviously, everything went perfectly, and uh, Freiburg were able to challenge in the league and in the the Europa League as well. Um, 
I still have concerns about the the size of Freiburg's squad um, to be able to compete on on both fronts. Uh, I would not worry too much about maybe having a season where we drop into sort of mid-table as long as we didn't get too close to the relegation if it meant that we were able to get Champions League football. And as I mentioned before, the, the cash injection that you get from that sort of season yeah. uh, could be really, really important for a, for a, a team like Freiburg as well. And could maybe um, buck the trend of recent years, which is that you have to sell your best players after one season. Uh, the promise of offering them Champions League football uh, with the added bonus of the of the cash injection means that you could you could afford to maybe restructure your plans for for one season and keep together a, a group of players that that um, you you might otherwise have to break up a little bit. Although having said that, there's not a huge amount of um, there's not a huge amount of sense that Freiburg have a lot of players who would be um, moving on. I think Ritsu Duan is, is 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 the player that most clubs will have their eyes on. Uh, but mm. beyond that, I don't think there's a huge amount of um, potential for players to at least be be being sold for um, uh, cash value. So um, yeah, I, I obviously I'm going to take Champions League um, if if the option is Champions League or Europa League. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I'm I'm fully aware of the fact that despite we've talked the fact that we've talked about how well. Freiburg have done everything. It only takes a couple of seasons for that good work to be undone. Um, Leicester City, right now in the relegation zone in in the Premier League, uh, a few seasons after being Champions League contenders and going mm-hmm. deep in the Champions League uh, in the year after they won the, the Premier League as well. So it's yeah, it's important to make sure that you are able to manage a season uh, in terms of a, a full season as a as an overarching thing if these sorts of things happen for you. But I have no doubts whatsoever that Freiburg are smart enough to be able to do that. And I think we're at a level now where I don't have the worry that we will be in a relegation battle if we have a, a, a sort of difficult season in Europe. Um, I think that a difficult season in Europe maybe equates to a mid-table finish, which again is not ideal, but it's not the end of the world as well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say the fan thing of being like, oh, go on then. We'll do Champions League for one season and uh, we'll we'll deal with the aftermath of that once it once it happens. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, any questions that I might have sneaked through? One from uh, Ballin was, uh, ha- have you got basically a new a new Freiburg jersey or how many have you got? Any favourites yeah, that you've got? I could show them if you want. I've got them all hanging up here. So I'll just, I'll oh, just grab wow. them. I don't know if this is this is going out in an audio medium as well, but that's not very good. But I'll just grab. I've got three, I think. I'll, I'll just grab them. Let's see them. For our audio listeners... John is just off screen collecting his kits that he wants to show. I've got the, this is the I can't hear anything by the way. I've got my headphones out, but this is the the sort of classic, the last Hummel shirt. I wanted to make sure uh, I got one wow. of theirs. I've got last season's one as well. Yeah, that's nice. Niklas oh, Herfler on the back. Herfler, yeah, uh, and then I've got I, I can't see it right now actually. Um, but I've got a really nice <laughs> purple. I've got a really nice purple away shirt as well from um, the pandemic. Um, Oh, okay. Games behind closed doors uh, hmm. uh, shirt as well. So yeah, just the three. Um, but, Have you been yeah, over recently, John? Have you been over to? Uh, I haven't been to the new stadium new yet. Oh, so okay. that's that's yeah. my next that's my next yeah. uh, to do list thing. Uh, I want to get over to the, the new stadium. And the problem is they're doing so well at the moment. It's tickets are just much much yeah. harder to come by than they used to be. So um, there's there's always a downside to uh, success, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I don't think we've got time to come to any more questions, so apologies if we've missed any. Uh, but of course, we're alive right now. But if you're watching this subsequently, whatever time it might be, if you pop them in, and, and maybe uh, John might be able to see them in the comments if and when that that does come to it. Uh, but probably a nice time to to round up this evening's show as we're closing in on the hour mark. So um, we know that time is precious for for everyone, including John. So. Um, you know, fantastic to have you on this evening, John, talking about all things Bundesliga and Freiburg especially. It's been great to have your input and, and great to have you back after uh, your obviously your first appearance a few years ago now. feels like a long time. Um, so thank you very much for your time. <coughs> really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll hand over to Mark to, to close up tonight's show. Yeah, so if you enjoyed what you saw today, check out our Twitter feed at Over the Bar FB and at Over the Bar Extra. 
Also visit our main site as well, otbfootball.net. So remember, we're not only a Bundesliga channel as well. We also do everything football-related. And then, yeah, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We're, we're on the way to our target uh, for this season. So, yeah, keep recommending us to your friends and uh, let us know as well. Yeah. By the way, Paul says, yeah, two lovely shirts as well. Uh, yeah, agreed. The purple much. one is yeah. really beautiful as well. I'm, I'm yeah. really <laughs> I couldn't find that, but I was aware of the fact that me not being on screen looking at shirts is not the greatest <laughs> content in, in, in the entertainment industry. So. Great. Well, yeah, thanks again to John for coming on. Uh, we're sure he'll be back before long. Yeah, good luck to Freiburg as well to obviously get the, the kind of uh, promised land of the Champions League maybe. And then, yeah, we'll see you all again on Thursday. So thank you very much, guys, and see you then.